All right, hope you're uh, looking forward to today. All right, and don't forget, uh, last last day, well, not the last day, you could, I guess, sign up at any time, but our grow groups start tonight. And so if you're interested in a grow group meeting tonight, uh, sign up upstairs and uh, check out uh, the groups, talk to your leader, and uh, get involved in that. Okay, we're at the end of Job. Are we excited? All right. Well, maybe not. Okay, maybe could we could I go? Because I got like two or three more lessons. But are you ready? Ready for the end? Okay, ready for the end. Uh, we made it to the end of the book of Job. Twenty-eight weeks, eight months ago, January twelfth, we started it. We spent Easter with Job. We spent Mother's Day with Job. We spent Father's Day with Job. I hope you have gained as much. But I am holding back. There's like two or three summary lessons I'd love to do, but. Next week, we do not have class, one service for Labor Day, and so this is a good time. We're at the last passage, so we'll wrap it up today. And, um, and then, of course, all the uh, lessons as well as the notes are always online at glenwoodconnection.org, and you can uh, download this. And we'll start a series uh, after Labor Day on toxic talk, and any time I've ever talked about uh, minding our mouths or taming our tongue, I've always gotten good feedback of the practicality of that. And I think that's something that just periodically we always just need to be reminded of, of how to uh, work on that. Well, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to spend a couple minutes of there at your table talking about your favorite ending to a movie. Since we're at the end of Job, and so we're talking about endings, what's your favorite ending of a movie. So spend a couple minutes talking at your tables about that. <laughs> Are these guys all with you? Awesome. How you doing, man? My name's Chris. They didn't. Okay, they got the end of Job, man. Got the end of Job. Favorite ending? What's your favorite ending? Sarcastic. What do you say? Titanic. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Why does that not surprise me? Alright, good. So, favorite ending, favorite movie ending. Okay, if you're like Kobe, this is just so totally him. He said Titanic. Okay, so that's just a, that's just a good one. Mine, I, I, I uh, uh, Dead Poet Society is one of my favorite movies. And, and being uh, uh, just having gift teaching and enjoying teaching, it's just great at the end where they they stand up. Some of them stand up on the desk to say, "Hey, I've been influenced by your." It's the most inspiring. Uh, ending most inspiring movie that just motivates me every time I watch it. And what I like about it is not everybody stands up on the desk because that's unrealistic. You don't reach everyone. And so, uh, you know, anyway, so that, that's kind of, I love the ending of that movie. Well, we're here at the end of Job, and uh, maybe you'll like the ending of Job, maybe you won't. Let's take a look at it. It's Job 42, verses 10 through 17. Job 42 verses 10 through 17, because I'm sure you've watched movies where you didn't like the ending, or uh, the ending, or you, you liked, you know, you didn't like it for various reasons. So let's look and see. Job 42, verses 10 through 17. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all of his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. I'm like, like where, where have these guys been? 
Isn't that a great question? I mean, where have they been? And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemimah and the second Kezai and the third Karen. And I don't even know how to do that one. In all that land... No women were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons for generations. And Job died, an old man and full of days. There's the ending of Job. Now, to some, as you see in your notes, to some... The ending of Job seems, number one, unnecessary. Unnecessary at best. I mean, the story seems like it should end with Job's repentance. You know, whether he's restored or not is kind of irrelevant because to have a closer relationship with God, wasn't that the most important thing? The The point was to know who God was, and, and Job knew who he was, and and uh, he had heard of him, but now he experienced him. I mean, do we really need to know whether he's restored or not? Wasn't one of the main truths that God was trying to teach Job was that I'm big enough and I'm small enough for you to trust me in all things. And as long as we learn that and apply it to our life, what's it matter how the story ends? Well, here's what I'd say. I think it mattered to Job. You know, I think Job was was glad that it ended this way. I think it matters to us in our suffering. If the only hope or the only message we get from Job is, "Hey, God is sufficient. Hang on." You know, I, this this ending gives gives me a little hope when I'm suffering. And it must have mattered to God because he chose not to end the book with Job's repentance, but with Job's restoration. And I think that's important. Well, to some, the ending of Job seems seems unrealistic. It seems unrealistic for many. I mean, I kind of get this feeling. I'm like, well, isn't this nice? He suffers, and then he gets double of everything. Now, if you knew you were going to get double of everything after in, in this life, after you suffer, how would that uh, impact you? Well, yeah, you'd say, I can, I'll endure anything because I know there's going to be an end to this, and, and we will all, like the fairy tales, we will live happily ever after. Now, some movies in that way. What, and sometimes that's not a satisfying ending because after you watch that movie, you walk away going, that's just unrealistic. That's just not how life really is all the time. And that's true for this. I mean, as I look through this, I'm like, okay, wonder what Joni Erickson Tata thinks when she reads the end of Job. You know, at 17, she had a diving accident and became a quadriplegic and paralyzed, you know, from the neck down. And, and, and she's still paralyzed today. She's not getting twofold. She's not getting the fairy tale ending. She's not getting Job's ending. Is this the end that the Lord intends in this life for everyone who suffers? I used to read James 5.11. Turn your Bibles to James 5.11. I used to read James 5.11, which talks about the ending of Job, and it's kind of the verse I want you to think about for today. James 5.11. And I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I used to read that and think the end that was intended was this fairy tale ending, but I'm like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't give me comfort because I know that's not always how... So I, I must not really understand this. The, just, the ending seems unrealistic. If this is all that James meant for us to look at, the end intended, getting double and everything turning out nice, 
then what comfort does the book of Job have for those who do not get this kind of fairy tale ending from the Lord? And is this the end that the Lord intends for all of his suffering servants? I don't know. Number three, to some, the ending of Job seems untrue at worst. It seems untrue for the very reasons I'm saying. In other words, it doesn't always work out this way. So what, what are we supposed to take from this? And after all, wasn't the main purpose, one of the main purposes of the book was to disprove this idea that you always reap what you sow in this life? Isn't that the... I mean, this seems like totally opposite of what we've been learning. You do not always reap what you sow, and things don't always get tied up in a neat, tidy package in this life, and yet, this book that's been trying to teach us that ends in a neat, tidy package. And so here we are at the end of Job, just like we were eight months ago. We've got questions that may not get answered. And that's just the way suffering is. And that's the way God is. Have you not learned that through this process? If you've been with us on all 28 lessons, then you've learned that, hey, God, there's mystery in knowing God. There's mystery in suffering. And, you know, this almost seems just like God. Okay, I've been teaching you one thing, and now I'm, I'm going to end it in a way that, that makes you remember you can't predict me, or you can't control me, you can't keep me in a box. Am I communicating? Well, what can we know about the ending? Well, let me, the ending of Job reminds us of at least two things that I want you to get in mind before we jump into the, the, the practical principles. The ending of Job reminds us of at least two things. And I had many more, but I had a, here's two. The Lord has revealed the end that He intends, not the one we prefer. The Lord has revealed the end that He intends, not the one that we prefer. People tend to reject this ending of Job. There's all sorts of controversy about it because it's not the one they prefer. We often read the ending of biblical stories through the lens of our preference, our bias. We live in a postmodern age which rejects absolutes and wants everything to be gray and doesn't like anything black and white. And so a postmodern age, which we all live in and we're impacted by whether we realize it or not, loves stories with ambiguous endings, with no clear winners or losers. And yet in this ending, we got clear winners and we got clear losers and, and it's, it's very definite what's going on here. In our present day, we tend to prefer stories with an open ending where the hero is not altogether good and the bad guy is not altogether bad. Isn't that true? And we also prefer movies with alternate endings. Now you get movies with alternate endings. It irritates the tar out of me. Every, I watched Born Identity, one of them, whichever one it was, and it has this alternative ending, and I never can remember which one I prefer, and then it, it just, I, and then I'm going back and forth, and I can't click it right, and it just irritates me. I'm like, make the movie, end it. You know, I don't want alternative endings. But why is that popular? Because we get to choose. Hey, let me help you out here. That ain't how life works. Okay, we don't get to choose always the ending to our movie and and the movies of lives of others and uh, and we certainly don't get to choose the ending of job um, we need to seek to understand the end that the lord intended and determined and revealed this is the ending we have because it's the one that god wants us to have so let's seek to understand it uh, look at james I, I i think i have in your notes james 5:11 one more time uh, James 5 and 11 is like our inspired summary of the book of Job. And it, it's, it's the main idea that I'm trying to communicate to you. And so I've given you like four different translations of what we are supposed to see today as a result of our study all these months is indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. We've, we've spent eight months hearing about that. Now, we have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Or in the New American Standard, we have seen 
the outcome of the Lord's dealings, or the Net Bible says, you have seen the Lord's purpose, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, or the NIV, we have seen what the Lord finally brought about. So here's what I see. The Lord's revealed the end that He intends, not the one we prefer. So, understand the end that the Lord intends, and you'll better understand His compassionate character in the midst of your suffering. What we're going to see today is God's compassionate care in the midst of our suffering. Number two, the end that the Lord intends will be worth it in the end. Okay, that's, my, that's what I want you to take away today. So let's say that together. The end the Lord intends will be worth it in the end. Okay, now say it like you're rapid. The end that the Lord intends will be worth it in the end. That's what James says we should see out of Job. That's what these last pa- these verses I just read, that's what we want to see. So here's what we are to do. Persevere to the end that the Lord intends because it's going to be worth it in the end. Persevere to the end that the Lord intends. Not the one you want. See, here's what happens. We get expectations of, I'll go through this until this happens. I'll go through this until the Lord fixes it on this time or in this way. I'll put up with this for this amount of time. The end that I intend. And then what does God do? He doesn't do it according to what we want because we're not in charge. He is. He knows better. He loves us more. He, 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 he's more capable. And so we come to what we think the end ought to be, and guess what happens? If that's your expectation, and that's what you're focused on, and it doesn't, and it doesn't end as you intended, what do you do? Now you're, de- you're, you're already suffering, so you're already weak, you're already depleted, now you've had all your expectations, now they're crushed. And seemingly by the Lord Himself. What's your perseverance quotient going to be? Right? But if you take this and say, no, I'm going to persevere to the end that He intends, which I don't know. But I know this. It will be worth it in the end. Okay, nod your head. That's when you nod your head and say, okay, I get it. Okay. Well, you don't look fully convinced, so now I'm going to convince you from the Word of God, I want to give you seven reasons from this passage why you should persevere to the end that the Lord intends. Not the one you want, not the one, not the alternative ending you would choose, but to the end that He intends. I want to give you seven reasons why it will be worth it in the end. Let's look at it. Number one, persevere to the end that the Lord intends because the end that the Lord intends is grace-based. It's grace-based. That's good news. That means I don't have to be perfect to get the ending that the Lord wants for me. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to suffer perfectly. I don't have to be just like Jesus on the cross and never blow it. I can be like Job, who was less than perfect in his persevering. Amen? Job didn't get it all right, but he got one thing right. I'm not quitting until I get to the end that God intends. So here's what I want you to see in verse 10. You say, where are you getting grace in this? The Lord restored the fortunes of Job. When when did God give him this double blessing? When he prayed for his friends. Now, I think that's interesting. It doesn't come after his repentance. You would think that it would have come back in verse 2 when he, or, or verse 6 where he says, I repent. And God says, good, you've earned it, here it is. No, you know when it comes? It comes when He gives grace to His friends that don't deserve it. It's God blessing when He gives grace to the friend. Because Job has learned, what I get is grace, and what I'm to give to others is grace. And when He gets that, God says, well, there you go. Now I can give this to you, because you know you don't deserve it. You know you didn't earn it. You're giving grace to the undeserving. Why? Because you've received grace that was undeserved. And by the way, he he received that grace from God 
even while he was still suffering. He still he was still suffering when he prayed. So he gave grace even when he didn't get the end that the Lord intended in his life yet. Are you with me on this? You know, sometimes we only want to live for God when he comes through for us. And God says, I already came through for you, or you wouldn't be living. You wouldn't be breathing. I've already blessed you more than you deserve. I don't have to come through more for you to live for me. Live for me. I think that's cool. In other words, it came after he freely gave to others the grace that he had freely received from God. God had freely forgiven him, so he freely forgives them, and God says, all right, you're living a grace-based life. Now I can just bless you all the more, even though you don't deserve it. He gave grace for grace. He gave grace from grace. He gave grace to grace. Job was not restored because he earned it. He restored because it was a gift that God gave him based on grace. Did you know that the end that the Lord intends for all of us is grace-based? Listen to Ephesians. Listen to Ephesians 2. Let me read verses 5 through 9. This is the end that the Lord intends for all of us, even in the midst of our suffering. Listen to verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. He can't even... He, he like interrupts his teaching and says, Oh, I'm just so excited. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, way in the future, the end that the Lord intends, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, Look at that at verse 7, Ephesians 2, verse 7. One of the most mind-blowing verses in the Bible. The end that the Lord intends for all of His people will take an entire eternity of Him just showing us His grace to us in Jesus. See, if you're going to limit God's grace to a decision in your past where He gave you a fire insurance policy to get out of hell, and that's great, and that's done, now I'm looking for something more exciting in life, Listen, you're missing the whole Christian life. We haven't even... It's going to take eternity for Him to show us the kindness of His grace to us. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like. I just know it's going to be worth it in the end. And that's the end that the Lord intends. So, persevere through whatever you're going through now because what God intends for you is grace-based. Don't get all tied up into thinking I've got to be perfect. I've got to be, I've got to hang on to the Lord just perfectly. But you do have to pursue Him. You do have to persevere with Him. Job did, but you don't have to be perfect. That's good news, isn't it? Number two, uh, persevere to the end that the Lord intends because it's outrageously generous. The end that the Lord intends for each one of His children, if you are His child today, if you believe in Him, is outrageously generous. The Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Look at that in verse 10. He increased all that Job had twofold. Now, this, this is a new truth for me, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm all whacked on this, but this is what God taught me about that verse today, thinking of, or this week. No, I didn't prepare this this morning, I promise. Um, this is what I thought. The Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Now, I've lost a lot of my math skills, but when you got nothing and you times that by two, what do you get? So what's going on here? What's going on here? I think what God is saying is that even though God permitted the devil to take from Job everything because God's in control and because God, God was not punishing Job, what the devil took, Job still had not lost. In other words, you've lost it, but I'm in control. It's still yours. I gave it to you freely. And though I let the enemy take it in this war, in this battle that we're in, 
you've never lost it. And all that you had, you're going to get that plus twice double. Isn't that amazing? That's kind of good because when we suffer, we suffer loss of things. I mean, that's what makes a lot of what suffering is painful is because we're losing. But here's the good news. If you lose something in this life, but God gave it to you, you haven't lost it. It's, a, it's with Him. And in the end that the Lord intends, if He gave it to you, then it's still there. And He can even increase it. Isn't that good? I thought that, man, I thought that was great. See, even in our life, losses in life, God is generous to make sure we never lose what He has freely given us or allowed others to unjustly take from There's no doubt Others unjustly took what was Job's. But here's why you and I can rest in God, is that knowing that when God permits that, He's still in, he's still in charge of making sure we get that. The Lord blessed, and I look down at verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than His beginning. Now, wait a minute, think about that. I know it was eight months ago, but eight months ago we learned that Job was the richest man in the East. He was the Bill Gates of the East. And now he's blessed more twice. He's Bill Gates times two. I'd like to be Bill Gates minus, you know, a half or a quarter. I'd like to be Bill Gates one-tenth of Bill Gates. He is Bill Gates times two. God is outrageously generous, Amen. The end that the Lord intends for us as believers, even in the midst of our suffering, is outrageously generous. You see the chart there before the ash heap. And, and, and he got double of everything. You say, well, he didn't get double of his sons. He only got seven. And, and double of his daughters only got three. But wait a minute. They were adult believers in Yahweh. They're in heaven. He has double sons now. In fact, some think the way the Hebrew is structured, he may have gotten 14 sons. He may have gotten double-double or whatever that would be of sons. So they're in heaven. He's getting double of everything. In fact, I think he got double of his years. I think he was 70 when this happened or around 70, and he got another 140 years to live. Listen, one student of Job made this observation, that like the thief who had to make twofold restitution in the law for everything that he unjustly stole from others, God is graciously giving Job back twice of what he allowed the devil to steal from him in the beginning. See, God's just, but he's more than just. He's outrageously generous. The end that the Lord intends for all of his people is outrageously generous. So listen to 1 Corinthians 2.9. Listen to 1 Corinthians. Just as is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. So, our ending is so outrageously generous, you can't even imagine it. You On your best day, you can't even imagine it. Isn't that cool? Now, you, you and I got to remember this when things are going bad. When things are going the opposite, when finances are tough, when, 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 when we've unjustly lost a job, when, when we, we've been treated unfairly in our relationship, we, get, we need to remember that the end that God has for me is outrageously generous. And so persevere to that end. Number three, the end that the Lord intends is relational and not just material. The end that the Lord intends is relational and not just material. Because you look at that double, you know, double sheep, double oxen. And I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering, it's not the material blessings aren't what I'm, I'm grieving over, right? It's the relational one, right? So here's the deal. Look at verse 11 again. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known. I mean, this verse 11 is everything he was looking for and hadn't had. And then, verses 13 and 14, getting the seven sons and three daughters. I mean, it, I, I can't imagine a parent losing a child, especially an adult child, which I think is even harder if you can even comprehend that, just because you thought, okay, we made it. But... 
then for God to give you that second chance of all those joys and pleasures all through, I mean, that's, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. But you know what? We saw this at the beginning of Job. We see it here at the end that the greatest riches in life are relationships. In Job chapter 1, the material wealth of Job was bracketed by his relational wealth of seven sons and three daughters. I won't take time to show you that, but I think chapter 1 showed us that his greatest riches was in his relationships. Well, here we see that his restoration begins with his relationships with family and friends being restored. Now, you look at verse 11. His rejection is replaced with acceptance. Remember in the middle of Job, he said, "No, my family has abandoned me. You know, my friend, I used to be the most respected, honored, dignified dude in town. I mean, when I spoke, I was E.F. Hutton. Everybody listened. And now they spit at me. They curse at me. They mock me. And you remember what his wife said. Curse God and die. I mean, you can't get any more isolated. But now his rejection is replaced with acceptance. His isolation is replaced with fellowship. I mean, they are just partying and eating and, and having a good time. His condemnation is replaced with consolation. He finally gets what the three friends said they were going to give him but didn't give him. You know, we all have the miserable comforters that come and say, here, I just want to love on you. Whack, 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 whack. Okay? But now he's getting the real love. Shame is transformed into honor. Disgrace has been transformed into dignity. Once again, Job ends like he began. He's eating, drinking, enjoying the fellowship of family and friends. Money can't buy these things. Money can't buy these things. Peace with God and others is a gift of God's grace given to His servants who trust Him and persevere through undeserved suffering. Listen, if you quit in the midst of your hard times, you're going to miss out on this kind of relational partying at the end. If you quit, if you isolate, and we all tend to do it, I am tempted to do it, and I, you know, we can do it emotionally, even though if we're still physically around, right? You ever done that? Sure you have. If you're married, you have, right? But listen, if in our hard times, we pull out and we isolate, we're going to miss out on the end that the Lord intends. We're not going to have these relationships. Listen, the money that was given to Job, because notice at the end of verse 11, and each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. This, this giving of money, it wasn't about the money. It's about the relationships and the honor that that money represents. So You've got to understand this. This guy was disgraced. He's living on the ash heap. He see, they see him as cursed of God. Now they understand, whoa, God was at work in this. And now they're restoring this guy his honor. Now, in America, we think everything's about money. But in almost every other culture in the world, it's about shame and honor. And he's getting what he needs most. That relate, listen, and suffering, if there's one thing I've learned in this past year, suffering just brings with it a feeling of disgrace. A feeling of, well, I'm just not as good. You know, somehow... God's just not smiling on me like He is on others. And I wonder if others are thinking that. Are you with me? We are if you've suffered. You understand that. Listen, the money that was given to Job teaches us a couple things. Number one, that Job needed people to help him rebuild. Job needed people. See, God just wasn't going to sprinkle money dust on him. He had nothing. How was he going to rebuild? How was he going to get all these oxen? How, where, you know, God didn't just multiply them out of the ground. He needed people to help him rebuild. Job needed, number two, practical help to rebuild. I, he needed practical help. And he got it. And Job's suffering was not due to sin. The people now understood this. And they knew that God hadn't rejected him. And they knew better now how to meet his needs. The end that the Lord intends for all his people is relational and not just material. Let me give you a couple of New Testament passages that teach this for you and I. 
Number, the first one is Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, 27 through 30, Peter says to Jesus, Look, we've, lost, we've left everything to follow you. What's, the, what's in it for us? You know, what's, what's the end going to be for us? We've left everything. And here's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, that you have followed me, and in the regeneration, in the coming kingdom, when I re- regeneration just means in the restoration of all things. That restoration that Job got, physically, we're going to get. When the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You'll be large and in charge, just like me. But then he says this in verse 29, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my namesake, will receive many times as much, more than twofold, many times as much, and will get inherit eternal life. That's the end that the Lord intends. Now, I think it's interesting. He begins with houses, he ends with farms, but in between, he focuses on what? Relationships. So, you know, one of the... One of the things, uh, just using Jordan for example, one of the things in his ordination when we sat and questioned him, uh, Jordan had great relationship with his grandpa, but his grandpa wasn't thrilled with him following Jesus to be a missionary, right? And so there was conflict, and, and thankfully the relationship hasn't been lost, but it, it, it could have been lost, and it could have been strained. And one of the uh, preachers that were, was questioning, Jordan said, hey, that you know, did you ever think that maybe you wouldn't, you know, did you ever have to choose between Jesus and your grandpa? And, and, and I'm glad you made the right choice. And, and because of that, you're going to get more. Think of all the relationships. You know, you could still be in Hutch. Yeah, I have my grandpa, by the way, who's dying, you know, who has Parkinson's, who one day is going to be gone. But now, look at all these relationships you're rich in in the Philippines. You see what I'm saying? This is how the, guy, this is how the Lord works that. And then Revelation 21, Revelation 21, 1 through 3, talks about the end that the Lord intends is going to be God dwelling with us and us dwelling with God. And we're going to be with the people of God for all of eternity. And, and that ending, that, that restoration that the Bible talks about, doesn't just say floating on clouds, looking you know like half-naked babies being bored out of our gourd. It's described as a party. It's described as a banquet. It's described like a wedding banquet. Who do you invite to your wedding? All your family and friends. It's described like a family reunion. It's described like a Thanksgiving dinner. It's described like a graduation party. It's going to be great. That's the end that the Lord intends. But I feel all alone right now. That's all right. The end that the Lord intends will be worth it in the end. That's the point. That's the point. Number four. The end that the Lord intends is absolutely guaranteed. It's absolutely guaranteed. Why is the end that the Lord intends absolutely guaranteed? Because the Lord is the one who's ultimately in control. Look in the middle of verse 11. We get this phrase. Job's family and friends understood that this is why they gathered and and, and this is why they gathered around him and comforted him. Look at the middle of verse 11. And they consoled and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. Now, people have a problem with that statement. Many people have a problem with that statement. And what they say is, these guys were confused. They got it wrong because who brought the adversity? Satan brought the adversity. So what they're saying is, these guys, they're blaming God for something that the devil did. And they got it wrong. But we're at the end of the book of Job. Do you really think they got it wrong? Is that what we've learned thus far? Is that what God taught Job? Well, first of all, how did they know that the Lord had brought it on him? Well, we're not told. And I think that's important. So we better not assume we know how they said this. We think they're saying it out. Some people think they're saying it out of their ignorance. But we're not told that. But we do have a context. We know what came right before this. I think, I can't say for sure, but
But I think a couple things could have happened. First of all, Job could have told him that after God spoke to him. Because this was Job's conclusion in 42. Look at chapter 42, look at verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Hey, God, I know I've been getting all bent out of shape on this. I know you're large and in charge now. I admit that and you're in control. I don't know what else is going on, but I know who's ultimately in control. And God didn't correct him. In fact, God's doing what? He's blessing him. So Job could have told him. I think, number two, the three friends may have told him after God got done speaking to them. But here's the other thing. God's speaking out of a, a storm. Very likely, these people could have heard God explain behemoth and Leviathan and, and, and how I'm, I'm, you know. So we shouldn't assume that these people are speaking out of ignorance. There's been revelation. We just don't know how extensive it's been. Well, let me say this. People often have a hard time with statements like this in the book of Job. And let's be honest, we all struggle with statements like this. And if you don't struggle with it, it's because you haven't suffered enough. To think that God is in charge of my suffering, that's one of the hardest questions that a postmodern world is going to ask. This is the hardest question that you can ask. And people will argue that these people are only saying this because they don't really know any better. And like Job, they don't know about the devil, that the devil was given permission to do this. Well, what do I say to that? Well, they are right that these people didn't know. They didn't know about the devil, and Job didn't know about the devil. But the author of Job, whom God inspired to record this story, did know what happened, because he wrote Job 1 and 2, and he did not correct their supposed ignorance about God not really being in charge. The author of this book does not correct their supposed misunderstanding. But here's, because I've had to struggle with this, and here, here's something that, that insight that I got. The people also did not say what they knew. See, people want to say, well, they said the Lord because they didn't know about the devil. You're right. But what did they know? They also didn't attribute Job's suffering to what they did know. What did they know? Well, you got to go back eight months ago, Job chapter 1. They knew that the Chaldeans had attacked. They knew that the Sabaeans had attacked. They knew lightning or fire had come down from heaven, and they knew that a great windstorm had blown down the house. They knew that, quote, natural disasters had taken place. And so they don't say here... So we consoled and comforted him because of the wicked acts of wicked men and of natural disasters. No, they go to the ultimate control. It's the Lord that allowed this to happen. So what do we do with statements like this by Job's family and friends? Let me give you uh, four suggestions. First of all, we don't question or accuse God of being unjust or uncaring. Just because the Lord allowed it and brought it and, and allowed the devil to do it, we shouldn't think God is unjust. Why? And why shouldn't we? Because Job learned that. Job said, mm, shut my mouth. I'm going to stop accusing you. I'm going to stop putting you on trial. Number two, we let it warn us not to be miserable comforters who automatically assume we know the causes or reasons of the suffering of others. In other words, don't be like the three friends. They learned this in Job chapter 42. So, because the Lord is in control means, and we don't know why He does what He does, that means we don't know why someone's suffering and we shouldn't be quick to judge. Are you with me? So we don't accuse God, and we don't assume we know what's going on in others' lives. Number three, we accept or affirm it like Job did. See, Job didn't say, hey, wait a minute, guys, wait a minute. Don't blame God for this. It was something else. No, he says, you're right. I, I came to that conclusion in Job 42, too. And I find strength to trust. Listen, if, here's my question for people who want to say natural, God had nothing to do with earthquakes, tsunamis. If God doesn't have anything to do with it, I pity you going through that. Because you just went through something that God's not in control of. Listen, our only hope 
is that even when the devil is working his destructive ways, that God is ultimately in control. That's my only hope for persevering to the end. Amen? Make sense? Number four, I love this one. We let it move us to action. We let it move us to action. I think it's great. See, we want to say, critics want to say, that if God's that sovereign, then I don't have to do anything. And those guys said, no, God's this sovereign. That means i got to move in and help you. God's in control of this. Therefore, I'm going to answer to him. So I've got to move in with money, resources, and love into this situation. God did this, so we better get moving. I love that. It's the opposite of, of how the flesh thinks. Well, if God's in control, I'm not, you know, he's to blame, you must be in sin, and I don't have to do anything. Wrong! It's the opposite. Don't accuse him. Don't assume you know what's going on in other people's lives. And get moving with God. That's good stuff. Number five, the Lord, the end that the Lord intends is transforming. In verses 14 through 15, God, uh, Job highlights his daughters. What's up with that? I really don't know. I mean, we come to the end of Job, and we know their names, and, and they're getting inheritance. You know what it is? I think it's more grace. Job has been changed to where he understands that I go even against culture to show grace to all people, men, women, slaves, frees, Gentile, Jews. It's just Job's a different man. He's a different dad. You know, one of the things I pray when I go and visit someone in the hospital, um, my prayer is, Lord, what what they're going through right now, help them to be, help use this to make them a better dad. Use this to make them a better mom. Use this to make them a better son a better daughter, because you can't go through suffering with the Lord and not be changed by it. Amen? There's a lot in that. I told you there's more we could do. Number six, the end that the Lord intends is life-giving. It's life-giving. The guy lived 140 years. Okay. You're going to get eternal life. Persevere to the end. Number seven, the end that the Lord intends is fulfilling. I love this. The last word on Job is he dies full of days. Now, just circle the word full. Job died a satisfied man. And you know why he did? Because he finished faithful. He finished faithful. Just had a memorial service for Chris's dad. And the beauty of grace is, really doesn't matter how, you lived up until you know the Lord, but once you know the Lord, you've been forgiven, you've been restored, you've been given a right relationship, and you can die, as Bruce asked him, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm full, I'm satisfied. Because God can restore the years that the locust takes. But you've got to persevere to the end that He Intense. Man, I wish I... And, and, and could I just say this? Do you understand that we're missing it if we think Job got everything that the Lord intended before he died? So you've got to understand, Job, the reason God doubly blessed him is because Job understood what was really important. He wasn't living for that stuff. He's proved that. See... Do you understand that Job is still waiting for the end that the Lord intended? See, all these New Testament promises are yet future for us. And did you know they're yet future for Job? That Job said in the middle of his suffering, One day, one day, I am going to stand in my resurrected body and see my Redeemer. And he's seeing his Redeemer right now, but not in a glorified resurrected body. Job can't wait for the day when at that party, that graduation, that wedding banquet, when he gets, we get to, we're going to meet him. And we're going to get the end that the Lord intends when Job gets his. The only question is, are we going to persevere 
like Job did. Job did it because of God's grace. You can do it. I can do it by God's grace. And then one day, we will get the end. Because here's the point, the, the last thing I want to leave you with. The end comes in the end. The end comes in the end. And the end is not here yet. Amen? I hope you've gained as much as I have from the book of Job. Let's pray. Father, we come and uh, our minds are blown because uh, it will be worth it in the end. And you've given us seven solid reasons that when we're hurting, we can go back to. When we're suffering, we can look to and be reminded that it's going to be worth it in the end. And so, Father, I pray for persevering grace upon this class. I pray for those that don't know you and are trying to make it without you in their life, that they would come to know you and realize that it's a free gift. I pray for those of us that know you, that we would see beyond a decision in the past and look at the future, and we would get active because of your sovereignty, your compassion, that we wouldn't be spectators and pew sitters, but we would be active participants in building up this church, but also reaching to the lost. And even in our suffering, that we would have a testimony that my Redeemer lives. And I'm holding out and I'm waiting for what will be worth it in the end. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You made it through Job. Congratulate your neighbor there. <laughs>